Good morning, Evergreen Church family. You may take a seat. Man, this is so awesome. Just having the opportunity to preach God's word once again here with my church family. Can you believe it? I've been here for over two years now, a little bit over two years. Time flies when you're having a great time. So thank you so much, Evergreen Church family, for your awesome support. And over the years, a couple years, I, I felt like we've gotten to know each other a little bit better. I think you know where I met my wife, Amy, 22 years ago at Tozai Market. That's been shared before. And in the podcast, it's been shared that uh, I did judo and, and I'm doing uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu right now as well. But did you know... Did you know, this is a trivia question, that Pastor Rocky is not the only Seto that played football growing up? Did you know that? I don't know if, if, if you knew that or not. But it reminded me when I was playing football, uh, this was in Ar- Arcadia High School. I know we have some Apaches in the house as well, too. We're going through training camp. Um, we had a bad practice. We we're fumbling the ball. Uh, we're throwing interceptions, and my coach, Coach Demolante, he was upset. So he just made us run and run and run sprints. And at the end of the practice, I remember what he told me. And I remember him just lifting up the football. And he told the team, the priority is the football. We must take care of the football. If we take care of the football, then we can win games. If we don't, then we're going to lose games, right? And it makes sense, right? If you're throwing the ball to the other team or fumbling the ball, you don't have the chance to score, and you're going to lose the game. And here at Evergreen Church, I'm so glad the central theme of our church is discipleship. Intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. And the priority of our church is God's word. That's the priority. And I know in the past couple years, ever since I've been on staff, we've been going through some changes, right? Some changes, some great blessings, and some challenges. As Pastor Rocky mentioned last Sunday, this year we have three less pastors. That's a big change for our church family. We have new bylaws, that's exciting, new executive board members. Praise God, last year we launched a new Spanish language ministry. And I'm really excited about this. In the past six months, we have 28 new church members. Praise the Lord for that, that's exciting. So even with all these changes we got to make sure that we stay focused on the Word. And so this morning, our passage comes from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. You can get your Bibles ready. And it's about the early church. They're also going through different challenges and changes. But they kept the main thing, the main thing. They kept the Word of God a priority. So please rise as I read from... Acts chapter 6, verse 1. 
I'm using the Legacy Standard Bible Translation. In those days, while the disciples were multiplying in number, there was grumbling from the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not pleasing to God for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this need. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of the word. And this word pleased the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Pocarus, Nicanor, Timon, Prominus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these, they stood before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to multiply greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests we're becoming obedient to the faith. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, for giving us the gospel, and for giving us your word, the Bible. I pray that your word will be preached faithfully this morning, and you'll bless our time together as a church family. May you soften our hearts this morning for us to embrace your word being preached. May we be encouraged and edified knowing that you love your people and your church here at Evergreen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may take a seat. So in the book of Acts, it's almost like the word of God is a character in the Bible. The Word of God is leaving footprints. It's moving here. It's moving there. It's increasing. It's growing. It's doing all kinds of amazing things. The Word that's being preached, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, is moving forward. But we also see that there's opposition of the Word. We see in chapter 5, the chapter prior, Sin enters the church with Ananias and Sapphira misleading the church with their finances. We see intense persecution in the book of Acts against Christians being arrested, beaten, and killed for the faith in Jesus Christ. Including one of the characters in our passage today. In chapter 7, we see Stephen being martyred for preaching the gospel. So in today's passage, in chapter 6, we see in this passage another potential opposition for the word of God to go forward. But it comes from a surprising area. It comes from within the church, through the regular life of the church. 
There's the potential to slow down and even grind the word to a halt. So in this morning's passage, we're going to see three different observations. And they're in your app for the notes. The first observation is a tricky situation. A tricky situation. Point number two, observation number two, a simple solution. Simple solution. And observation number three, a glorious summary. A glorious summary. So for the first observation, a tricky situation. So let's look at verse one. Now in those days, while the disciples were multiplying in numbers, there was grumbling from the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So right here, the church is growing. In Acts 4.4, there's 5,000 believers stated in the church. And many scholars believe in Acts chapter 6, the number has grown up to 20,000. Imagine having 20,000 people in your church. That's like the Staples Center being filled up. Sold out crowd at the Staples Center. So that's a mega church in any era, right? 20,000. More and more people are becoming Christians. They hear the gospel and are responding. It's truly an amazing time for the church. But with growth come some challenges. In verse 1, we're introduced to grumbling and complaints. So there's a problem. A complaint is brought up by the Hellenists. The Hellenists are the Greek-speaking Jews. In the church, there are Jews that spoke Aramaic or Hebrew, their native language. And then you have Jews that spoke Greek. People from all over the region are now coming to worship Christ in Jerusalem. While they have a common background and now a common faith, but they speak different languages. And culturally, they're different. And as the church grows rapidly with different types of people, there's a complaint. And if you remember in Acts chapter 4, verse 34, there's a stark difference. 434 in Acts states that there were no needy person among them. Can you believe that? Having a church where there's no needy persons among them. And here comes the first complaint from the church. So this is the issue. These Hellenist widows who are dependent upon the church for care are not getting the food that they needed. Perhaps there's a language barrier. I can see that happening. Or maybe there's more to that. Is it intentional? Unintentional? We don't know. But what we know is that they're being overlooked. And they're letting the apostles know that they're being neglected. And this is one issue that could really slow down the word. Why would this slow down this word? The word. Why would this hinder the word from going forward? Because disunity in the church impedes the word. It's like a flat tire on the car. It's going to slow down. You can't go forward if there's disunity. If God's people are not united around the word, 
then the car of the gospel is not moving forward. We're going to be worried about who's right and who's wrong. We're going to be arguing together instead of reaching the loss with the gospel. So this issue of disunity needs to be solved. Who is the ultimate source of disunity? Who do you think it is? Ultimately, it's Satan. Who is the ultimate source of unity? It's God, the Holy Spirit. So there is an important need to keep the church unified. This is a big problem. It needed to be dealt with. In simple form, these Hellenist widows need their food. It's something so simple, but it can destroy the early church if it's not resolved. Also, there's a second big problem here that emerges. Do you guys know what a Russian doll is? It's like a doll within a doll, like a wooden doll. You open a doll and there's another one inside of it. And this is what is happening. Actually, the story is more than feeding people. When you open up the doll, so to speak, you look inside and you see the conflict. You see that there's something else at play. The devil is sneaky, super sneaky. What does he tell us in 1 Peter 5, 8? The apostle Peter tells us, be of sober spirit, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And as I shared before, the devil will use persecution to stop the word, right? It's all over scripture. He tries to use sin to stop the word. And in this passage, this morning, he's using distraction, distraction to stop the word. The apostles are being distracted from the primary responsibility of preaching the word of God because of this issue. Let's look at it. Verse 2. This is the second problem. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not pleasing to God for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. I believe the apostles were expected to serve tables because they responded in a righteous, defensive way, right? Why would they respond from the get-go? It is not pleasing to God for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So this is the second problem. The leaders of the church are distracted from preaching the word because of this situation. Here we see the temptation for the apostles. To be honest, which is really a pastoral temptation as well. It's to jump in and fix everything. Why? Because that is what leaders do. And we love our people. But they know that they can't be doing this because they have a concern. Again, in verse 2 says, it's not pleasing to God. It's not pleasing to God because they have a specific responsibility to preach the word of God. So the apostles are not saying that serving tables are not important. But they're saying both are important. However, they are called by God to preach and teach his word. Do you remember Acts 1.8? Christ specifically told the apostles, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and even 
to the end of the earth. Remember the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. He commands the apostles to teach them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I want to be clear here. They are not dismissing this important need of caring for the widows. But they're trying to clarify the responsibilities within the church. They are actually organizing the church. They're actually setting structure in the church. So the apostles are now presented with two problems. Caring for a group of people that are being neglected and being pulled away from preaching the word of God. So what's going to happen next? The apostles are saying we can't be doing both things. If we're going to do both things, the ball is going to get dropped. They're going to fumble the gospel away. But the word must move forward. There's no compromise in that. Now you see the conflict emerging. The issue of feeding widows brings us to a place where we see true conflict, which the word of God can potentially be shut down. So that's the plot. That's the situation that leads us this morning. So there's a great need, and the expectation is for the apostles to take care of that need. But the reality is that the leaders can't do everything. If they stop ministering the word, this will hurt the church. If the people's needs are not met, this will hurt the church. You see the dilemma? That's a conflict. It's a tricky situation. So let's think about our life here at Evergreen Church. Let's think about that. Do we have concerns? Do we have needs here? Of course we have needs. We have physical needs. We have spiritual needs. We have financial needs. We have building needs. We have all kinds of needs. And there are tons of expectations. There are tons of priority that we have as a church. And many times, just like in the book of Acts, these needs get expressed to the pastors. If there's a new project, okay, let's work on it. We need a special event. Okay, let's organize it. There's an issue with the building. Okay, let's fix it. It's interesting. This tension that the apostles feel is just like the ones that I feel as a pastor at times. And I believe that tension is for all pastors because we love our church family and we feel responsible for caring for the church. At the same time, we feel a tension in our hearts. We feel the burden for a calling and responsibility to minister God's word. And we know we're doing all those other things we're not doing our job with the service of the word that's the tension i believe every pastor carries in their heart and soul and i as i shared earlier we have less pastors this year in 2023 that's just the reality and don't get me wrong i know that we have a faithful church being the admin pastor, I know 
most of you are faithfully serving the church family. Week in and week out, years and decades. And without you, we would not be here today. Without your faithfulness to Christ and to his church here at Evergreen. And for some reason, as I was preparing this message, I even thought about the counters. I can't disclose the name of the counters, of course, for security reasons. But, man, they are an epitome of servants. I mean, obviously, they're not doing it to be acknowledged because no one sees them except for God and myself and maybe Virginia Cho at times, being here in, in, in the church. They're like servant ninjas. They're such a great encouragement to our church family. And my encouragement to you today, church family, as I was looking at the mobile app on my phone last night, do you know how many serving opportunities are available currently at our church? And why don't you check after the service, not right now. 13. There's 13 serving opportunities. So my encouragement to you is if you could pray for these opportunities, for these opportunities to be filled, right? And as the widows needed assistance, currently our family life ministry needs assistance. As Pastor Jeremy shared, the children's ministry they're, they're planning to not have three, but they're planning to have all 52 weeks worth of children's ministry worship services. Every Sunday, they want a worship ser- service for the children. So that's going to require additional assistance as well. And finally, encouragement-wise, check in with the pastor. Ask them how they're doing. And I also ask them how you can pray for them specifically in 2023. Can we do that, church family? Amen? And this leads us to our second point. A simple solution. A simple solution. Let's take a look at verse 3. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers... Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this need. So the simple solution to the tricky situation is to get ministry leaders with high characters. High characters. And I love how the apostles included the congregation in this process. They asked them to select seven candidates with high characters who will be responsible in caring for the widows. Why seven? I don't know. There is no explanation. If you know, let me know after the service. Maybe it's enough to take care of the problem at that time. However, the apostles did have a requirement for the candidates. Not just a person who's willing to serve, not just a willing body, or perhaps even a restaurant manager that has previous food and beverage experience. None of that. But they first looked for character in these leadership roles. 
And they highlight three important criteria, right? The first one, they must be men of good reputation. They must be known by the congregation as trustworthy, faithful, and people that have great integrity. They're known by the church family. Number two, they're filled with the Spirit. There must be evidence that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ dominates their hearts, where they love and obey God's Word. And third criteria, wisdom. Wisdom. They must be able to apply their biblical knowledge and make wise decisions to resolve this issue and care for the widows. So the apostles were looking for character, character, character above everything else. Not spiritual slouches. But they're looking for gold standard servants. The best of the best. And when I was reading this passage, I thought about four men. Four men. And how you guys were part of this process. It's our executive board members, our new executive board members. Think about character. Fred Kawashima, Jim Kagawa, Albert Chung, Steve Chan. You guys voted them in because they are men of character. Also, the apostles are very aware of having a person that was not filled with the Spirit. Guess who's that? Judas. Judas. They can't afford to not have another person like Judas with their current crisis. They need faithful, godly people that can fix this critical problem. Even though the word deacon is not used in this passage. I believe that these seven men were prototype deacons. The word deacons in the Greek, diakonos, literally means servant. And you can see obvious similarities with these seven in the office of deacons. In the Bible, there's the office of elder pastor and the office of deacons. Where the elders lead ministry, the deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation does ministry. 1 Timothy chapter 3 lays out the qualifications for the office of elders and deacons. The qualifications are strikingly similar. But the one key difference is that the elders must be able to teach the word. This doesn't mean deacons may not teach. It simply implies that the gift and responsibilities of teaching is not a prerequisite for the office of deacon. And if you want to learn more about deacons, I want to share a book that has been really blessing me. It comes from Nine Marks. The title is simple. It's called Deacons. Matt Smithhurst is the author. This book has been great. It's been super encouraging me. And then also, I went through this book with Eric Abe, who is our Fellowship Sunday leader, and also Jeff Lowe, who oversees the Welcome Desk. And if you want a free copy, and if you don't mind some highlights and some creases, I made some 
folded some pages for the sermon. If you want this copy, come see me in the back. I'll be kind of happy to give this away to you, but I'm willing to give this up. But it's, it's an excellent read. It gives you an understanding of what and what, uh, what a deacon is and what they do. So again, deacons by nine marks. And in verse 4, we see what the apostles will do. This is a simple solution to the tricky situation. Verse 4 says, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of the word. The apostles will continue to move the word forward through prayer and the service of the word and have the tangible needs be met by faithful ministry leaders. This is a simple solution to the tricky situation. And this requires many hands for the church to stay on mission. And what will the apostles be devoted to? Again, in verse 4, they will be devoted to prayer and to the service of the word. This is technically a simplified job description of a pastor, isn't it? Prayer and the service of the word. But isn't prayer hard to measure? I mean, if you block off your day, you'll schedule in perhaps admin work, projects, meeting with people, studying. But prayer? What do we get from prayer? Sometimes you could begin to think, I'm not seeing the results. I'm not seeing the tangible benefits from these things. So how useful is prayer? How useful is it? I think we should look from the apostles in the early church to see that prayer is one of the most powerful and effective things that a pastor can do. As a congregation, you want your pastors to be praying for you and for the ministry of the church. You want them to be praying for themselves and the faithfulness of our congregation. Throughout the New Testament, we see it modeled by the apostles. It's one of the joys and privileges for pastors to be able to pray for the church. But honestly, sometimes the business of ministry squeezes out prayer. And I think all pastors feel that tension, don't we? The temptation is going after the urgent rather than the important. But you know what, church family? You know what? I love, I love how our pastors make it a priority to pray for our church family here at Evergreen Church. And I believe Pastor Rocky, the other football player, has shared this before. Thank you to Pastor Jeremy for making a membership list roster. And we dedicate a huge chunk of our meeting praying for each single member on this list, name by name. That's how important prayer is to our pastors. And also as a staff, any prayer request that comes in, we pray for these prayer requests. So this passage is a reminder on the importance of prayer. According to the apostles, simplified job descriptions, at least half of the pastor's work involves prayer. 
The other half is a service of the word. The service of the word is not just preaching, but all aspects of it. Some aspects involve preaching and teaching. And you don't preach and teach without studying, right? It's not like we just come up and start going off. There's a lot of studying involved behind teaching and preaching. So there needs to be a time of studying. The whole process of studying involves praying, reflecting, and meditating. And again, it's just difficult to quantify. But some of the most clarifying, helpful moments for me in teaching involves me sitting and looking at the wall in my office because I don't have a window. I'm staring at the wall. Staring and meditating on the Word of God, reflecting on a passage for an hour thinking. It's tough when you come home when Amy, my wife, asks, what did you do today? I stared at the wall for a couple hours. But this Sunday's message doesn't come unless I stare at the wall for a couple hours. There needs to be a time of meditating on God's Word. And this morning, I'm personally grateful that I have faithful ministry leaders that allow me to stare at the wall. They're giving me the opportunity to preach God's word to you this morning. They allow me to minister God's word to the youth. As some of you know, I oversee the administration of the church and the youth ministry with Pastor Victor. I also oversee the welcome team and Fellowship Sunday Ministries. So I feel extremely blessed that we have Jeff Lowe, Jeff Lowe over there, who oversees the welcome team, and, of course, Eric Abe in the front, who oversees Fellowship Sunday. Without these two faithful servants leading these ministries with their teams, there's no way I could be spreading God's word today. There's absolutely no way that would have been physically possible. And I remember asking Jeff, and doesn't he have, like, the nicest smile? When you walk into the lobby, he's always smiling ear to ear. I asked him, why do you smile so much? What's wrong with you, man? How can you smile so much? And I loved his response. He said, I love serving here because it frees up the pastors to minister God's word. That's what he said. Jeff sees serving Yes, where you feel a tangible need. But he sees a higher purpose, the highest purpose, knowing that God's word is being preached. And he's told me before that he feels like he's part of Pastor Rocky's sermon who normally preaches because he frees up Pastor Rocky to preach the word of God every Sunday. And I think Jeff has the right mindset. I think all of us should have that same mindset. Not only are you feeling a tangible need, But when you serve, you're serving a greater purpose. You're allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ to be spread here at Evergreen and beyond. Amen? So whenever you have the chance, go talk to that brother. Maybe Fellowship Sunday. He'll guarantee, he'll he'll fire you up for the Lord. And as we move along to verses 5 and 6 of Acts chapter 6, verse 5 says, And this word pleased the whole congregation. 
And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Pocarus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they stood before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. And verse 5 tells us that the solution pleased the whole congregation. Did you get that? They were pleased because they knew the issue was being taken care of. And most importantly, I believe they were happy that the word was moving forward. I think the response revealed that they were hungry for the word too. They wanted to make sure that they too were being fed the word of God. And that's why I believe they were pleased. Also notice in this section, all the names have Greek names. Greek-speaking Jewish men that can help the Hellenist widows who speak Greek as well. And people that can relate with their Greek culture. So there's great wisdom with their selections. It's also interesting to see that they were regular people with jobs and families. Faithful church members, just like yourself, stepping up to meet tangible needs for the word of God to be proclaimed. I think that's super encouraging. And the apostles prayed and laid their hands on the seven. Wow, what a scene. Affirmed them, and they were appointed to care for the widows. That is a glorious picture of how the entire church came together to resolve an issue in the church for God's glory. Amen? Isn't that a beautiful picture? And as you can see, I really want to highlight this. As you can see, it took many hands for this to happen. It wasn't just with one person or the apostles. It took many hands for this to happen. And we come to our last point, the glorious summary. The glorious summary. Verse 7. This is exciting. I was thinking about having you guys stand up right now. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. This is so exciting. How can you not be excited? It's only one verse. Check this out, guys. Blow your mind. And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to multiply greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many, not just many, a great, a great many of the Jewish priests, priests were becoming believers, becoming obedient to the faith. Isn't that incredible? You may be seated. So the word goes forward. It keeps spreading. People are being saved. And the Jewish priests are even becoming believers. Great many. Because people stepped up to help. And the apostles kept doing the work of the word and prayer. The service of the church involves not only preaching and teaching, but also serving and helping. All of it comes together. 
And I think if we're going to continue to be a faithful church, pastors need to pastor. And we need more deacon-like people. We need more ministry leaders, volunteers to help with the needs that are set before us. If the word of God is not being properly ministered, then we're not being a faithful church. And no matter how faithful the content of the message may be, if we're not doing our job with the needs of the congregation, we're not being a faithful church either. It involves all of us. We must see the complementary nature between the service of the word and the serving of others. We should see how this complements one another. Ministering the word and serving tables are complementary and not contradictory. So we must look at the greatest example ever. We must look at Christ. His life was characterized by service and proclaiming the word. Jesus said that his act of service was giving his life, his life for us. His brother Matt Chan read earlier from Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus said that the Son of Man, the Lord of the universe, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news where God created people. But because of sin, all of us have offended God. But because of his great love for us, he sent his only precious son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross. And he rose again three days later to prove that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. And all of us here have a choice to respond. And if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, praise God. We have that joy. We have that comfort. We have a peace. But if you haven't made that choice yet, as Pastor Jeremy shared, come see me or myself in the back after service. And we'll love to talk more about the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. And I wasn't planning to share this. Yeah, it's such a cry like Kenny. <laughs> Sorry, Kenny. <laughs> but how can you not? I see my mom here. Um, my dad just passed away recently. And people would ask, how are you doing? And it breaks my heart. Going to my mom's house and not seeing him in his room. But the Lord is good. And he's been sustaining, sustaining myself and my family because of his word. Because he received Christ into his life. We could trust God's word. We know God's word is going to last forever. It will never fade away. We trust in his promises 
and we trust in his faithfulness. So that's why the gospel is important. So as pastors, preaching the gospel needs to be our primary focus. And as members of the church, we need to pray for areas of service that we could step up and serve so that we're meeting the needs of others and reflecting Christ properly. Behind all this, there is this conviction for the gospel to move forward. But why does the gospel need to move forward? Why? Why? Because God wants to be glorified and he wants to save lost people. This whole thing about serving tables, service of the word, organization, deacons, and leadership. Don't lose this. Behind all this, God desires to save people. That's what is at stake. The church exists to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, so that lost people, people that don't know Jesus, come to him as Lord and Savior. And if the pastors take their eyes off the ball ministering the word of God, the gospel is at stake. And if the congregation is not serving, the gospel is at stake. We should serve like people's eternal lives depend on it. That's the mission of the church. For the word of God to keep spreading. And many hands are required to keep the church on mission. The church needs all of us to do our job and obey God's word. For Christ to be glorified and for the gospel to continue to move forward. Amen? Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your great love for us and blessing us through your word. Thank you for showing us that the service of your word is a priority to our church. May we be faithful in that charge. Whether we are called by you to faithfully preach your word or we're called to faithfully serve tables, we know that you have providentially brought all of us together for your glory. You have told us that we all have important roles in your church here at Evergreen because every role of faithfulness is important to you. Help us to be faithful to you. Please continue to give us the encouragement and strength to do so. So we look to your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as the ultimate example. As you tell us in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, He came to serve as our King and paid it all for us on the cross. So, Father, may the gospel of Jesus Christ continue to spread here in Evergreen and beyond. May you, Father, 
continue to be glorified and for more and more people to come to you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.